just so you know, um, I, I was a school teacher for a few years. I taught elementary school. And today I am going full school teacher mode on you. All right, I've got the dry erase board. I've got my dry erase marker, which when I taught, we used chalkboards. It was that long ago. Um, and overheads, which I found one in the basement, but I decided that wouldn't be wise because <laughs> we don't have a bulb. Um, so I went with this. So, so just know, here, here's what today's gonna feel like. It's gonna feel a little teachery in the beginning, but there is a part in it where I'm gonna ask you as a congregation to just, to just stop and kind of do a heart check with where you are, kind of in the middle, and you'll know where we hit it. Um, because as I preach, I don't just want to give you information. I wanna invite you into transformation. And so just know, even though it feels heady at times, my desire is for you to take this deep into your heart and ask what's true about you, all right? So a few weeks ago, Nick and I were having a conversation about how to handle this question. What do you do with what you see, right? In particular, when driving. What do you do when somebody cuts you off, right? And we were taking a road trip. We were heading down to Atlanta, so this was a very real conversation. Uh, it wasn't a made-up one. Um, and uh, as we were talking, we, we talked about the uh, typical gesture you could do when somebody uh, cuts you off, uh, thought how, as pastors, that's probably not appropriate. Um, uh, and then he goes, okay. He said, I got to tell you this. He said, I have this gesture that I've done. And I think he's only done it like once or twice because the situation has to be just right. And he goes, but if you can manage to do it, like it communicates like sincere disapproval, no matter the race, no matter the culture, no matter the location. And I, and I was like you, I'm like, what is it? He goes, okay, so somebody cuts you off. He goes, and you catch up to them. Not that we support uh, catching up to people, but maybe... <laughs> Maybe if you come to the same red light, let's, let's paint that situation. He goes, you look them straight in the eye and you do this. <laughs> thumb out and thumb down. And he said, no matter who they are, they're shocked at first that, that something so simple would hit such a deep place in their, in their psyche. He goes, and then you just drive off. Mission accomplished. In certain parts of town, that will get you killed. So please, <laughs> please make wise choices when you do that. But, but, but that's the question. What do you do with what you see? And that's, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. And, and I'm going to be writing up here. And, and when I taught school, you know, I had my, my chalkboard and I had that alphabet that I bought that I put above the chalkboard. And I always told my students, if you want to learn how to write, I paid really good money for that alphabet. So don't look at this alphabet. So, so, so bear with me for my writing. But the question is, what do you do with what you see? And, and, and it could be a person. What do you do um, when you see good and bad? This isn't just bad stuff, but, but what do you do when, when your spouse or your friend or your coworker, you, you see something good or you see something bad, or, or maybe it's even um, a group of people, right? What do you do with that? Or, or, or maybe it's the church as a whole or a, a different organization, um, uh, that you work for, or an organization that claims Christ? What do you do with what you see in those? Or maybe even it's culture in general. What do you do with what you see in a person or a people or a church or an organization or a culture? And if you notice, 
there's this gap between what you see and what you do. And that's the question we're going to ask today is what do you do with what you see? And this gap in between these things is big for a reason. Because what we put in this gap determines what we do with what we see. Because we see these behaviors in a, in a person or a people or a church or a culture, and we run it through what's gonna be in this gap, and it determines what we do. Now, just to give you a heads up, because when I was a teacher, and, and they taught me that when you're teaching, you tell people what you're gonna teach them, then you teach them, and you told them what you taught them, right? And so what we're shooting for, what we do with the scripture in Hebrews we're gonna be looking at is encourage, Right? That's the target we're shooting for. But the question is, how do we get there? How do we get from what we see to what we do that is encouragement? Because what we put in that gap, you know, this is important. What we put in that gap determines if what we do is helpful, if what we do is beneficial. What we put in that gap determines if what we do draws people to Jesus or if it pushes them away from Jesus. That's how important this gap is. And today we're gonna be in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, as we talk about this. And and, and, uh, it's on page, what page? 846 in the Bible that's in front of you, or you can use the Bible app. Uh, You can download the Bible app, click on events, and click on Fellowship Asheville, and the scriptures are there today, some the announcements, some links to our website, questions for you to ask. It's all right there. But what I want to do is give you a little little asterisk by this, right? The the relationships that we're talking about today with the people, the, the person, the people, the church, the organization, the culture, what this preacher in Hebrews, which I'll explain in a minute, he's talking about how we get along, right? Here's where the asterisk is on this message. This message doesn't necessarily apply to the person who's abused you, right? This message doesn't apply necessarily to the addict in your life who honestly makes, because of what they do and the choices they make, make it really hard to encourage, right? That's the aspect I want you to have. What I'm talking about is us as a church. How do we as a church, how do you as a person sitting next to someone next to you in your row, what do you do with what you see in them, right? And that we're in our series called Greater Than, which is what that symbol up there is. As we look through the book of Hebrews and we're seeing how Jesus is greater than, he's greater than our ups, he's greater than our downs, he's greater than than our fears, he's greater than our doubts, he's greater than our failures, and he's even greater than our successes. And in in, in this series where we've been talking about how Jesus is greater than, this preacher to the group of Hebrews, because remember, I believe that this is a sermon that was preached, the book of Hebrews, Um, we don't know who said it, we don't know who wrote it down, but we do know that it was preached to a group of people who grew up in a Jewish home, who grew up knowing the Old Testament and memorizing the Old Testament. And so this preacher, as he's preaching, keeps using pictures from the Old Testament, right? He keeps talking about the high priest. We have talked about the high priest from chapter four to chapter 10. And it's like, we get the point, right? Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is better than our high priest, 
And what you're gonna start to see now is a shift in the book. Because in chapter 10, he starts saying, okay, if all this is true, what do we do with it? And he starts moving into the application part of his message, which is why we're gonna talk about encouraging one another, right? But the question is, how do we get there? And what we're gonna see today, the way we get to encouraging one another is when we let Jesus be greater than our suspicions. That's how we get to encouragement. We let Jesus be greater than our suspicions. Look at verse 19. So chapter 10, verse 19 starts with the word therefore. Remember in Bible study methods, when you see a therefore, you ask what the therefore is there for, and it's usually to, to capture a summary. And it says, therefore, brothers, since we, uh, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And so what he's saying is you could take chapters four through 10 and you could sum them up in this one word, which is confidence. Now, confidence has a couple of different meanings. It could mean, it could mean boldness or it could mean openness. It could mean openly. And so you could translate that phrase, therefore, because of chapters four through 10, because Jesus is greater than our high priest, therefore, because we have this boldness, because Jesus is our high priest, we can enter the holy places. Therefore, because Jesus is our high priest, we can openly go to the place that was always closed off. Look at verse, look at verse 22, because here's what this means. It means because of Jesus, we have this relationship with God that is, that is all the time open to communication, to communing with God, any time and any condition. And, and so he explains a little bit more in verse 20. He says, by the new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. And so what this preacher is saying is, is he's, he's doing a review about the, the chapters 4 through 10, that Jesus is our high priest. And, and if you're new today, let me catch you up on chapters 4 through 10. Right, the, the high priest was a person that if you were one of the Hebrews hearing this message preached, you would know exactly who this high priest is because he was like the top-notch guy in the Jewish faith, in the Jewish religion. He, there was nobody above him besides God. As a matter of fact, he was the one who represented God to the people and the people to God in a special sacrifice called the Day, called the day of Atonement. And what he would do on this day of atonement is that he would make a sacrifice for himself for the sins that he committed and he would make a sacrifice for the sins of the nation and then he would go into a particular place in the temple that was closed off to everybody else except this one guy, the high priest. And this high priest, this one guy would go into that most holy place and it was behind this curtain and he would go behind this curtain and he would take the blood of that sacrifice and he would sprinkle it over the, 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 the stuff that was in that room. And it was believed that the very presence of God dwelt in that room. And so that high priest got to experience something that nobody else in the entire nation got to experience, that he got to walk in the room where God lived. And what this preacher is saying is that because Jesus has been our high priest, and because he has been the one that sacrificed himself, and so instead of sacrificing an animal for the sins of the nation, he sacrificed himself for the sins of the nation. And like the high priest would go in every year, and, 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 and it would be this temporary offering of forgiveness for sin. Because it was Jesus who sacrificed himself, what was temporary became permanent. As a matter of fact, when Jesus died on the cross, 
that curtain that separated the most holy place from the rest of the temple, that curtain, when Jesus died and took on the sins of the world, that curtain tore from the top to the bottom to show that what was closed off is now open because of what Jesus has done. And this preacher is saying, because Jesus has done that, we have this, this, this relationship with God that is marked by open communication, open uh, opportunities to commune with this God in any place and in any condition. That when you say yes to Jesus, you get the benefit that this high priest had even better because he could only enter once a year. You get the opportunity to do that anytime in any place you want. You see, we get to live in the presence of God. This confidence and this boldness and this open access to God, now this preacher is gonna show us what this looks like. So what do you do with that? If that's true about us, if that's true about you and it's true about me, what do we do with that? Verse 22 starts off with, let us. Now, this is the preacher talking to the congregation, men, women, children, everybody that's there. As a matter of fact, if you look back up at verse 19, where it says, therefore, brothers, the word brothers, depending on your Bible, might have a letter or a number, a superscript above it. And if you look down at the notes at the bottom of your Bible, the reason that that's there is because that word can be translated brothers and sisters, Right, and so what this preacher is doing is he is saying, listen, if you're part of the church of God, this is for you. This let us means you, if you are a follower of God, whether man, woman, child, if you said yes to Jesus, this is for you. And so what, what is the part that's for you? It's this, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. So this, this word draw near, so let us, church, this is what he's saying. He's, saying, he's talking to the, to the Hebrew church. He's saying, let us draw near. Let us take advantage of the fact that Jesus was our high priest and we can enter into his presence at any time. Let's do that, and here's why we can do that. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. This word choice here is great, this true heart. In, in ancient times, they would take precious metals like gold and they would melt them down and they would mix other similar but not as precious metals with them so that it still looked like gold, but it wasn't fully gold. And this preacher is using a word that says you get what it is, right? If it says it's gold, it's 100% gold. It is genuine. It is sincere. That's the, that's the word that he's talking about. And so what he's saying is that when, when you say yes to Jesus and you've got this confidence and Jesus has been your high priest and all those things from chapters four through 10 in the book of Hebrews, that you get this true heart. An Old Testament prophet named Ezekiel said it this way, and so he was looking forward to this time when Jesus would come and make things right. And Ezekiel 36, 26 says this, says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Right, and that's what this preacher is saying to the Hebrews. He's saying that thing that Ezekiel talked about is true when you say yes to Jesus. You have this new heart and you have this new spirit. That's why you can approach God. It's not because your heart is good enough. It's because Jesus has given you a new heart. He's given you a new spirit. And it even says the heart sprinkled, look at the, the rest. It says, with our heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And so not only do we have this new heart, but we have 
a conscience that is purified, right? We have a, a true heart and a pure conscience. That's this preacher's way of saying you have a new spirit. When you say yes to Jesus, the spirit of God dwells in you and it is this true heart and this pure conscience. And so if this is true, this ability to draw near to God because we have this new spirit in us, if this is true about our relationship between us and God, what does it mean about our relationships with each other, about what do we do with what we see? How do we fill in that gap with this? Now, if you're, I've used this line before, so it's not nearly as shocking as it sounds, but if you're here today because you have a drug problem, and here's what I mean by that. If somebody drug you to church today, all right, that's, that's one way to define a drug problem. Um, uh, you are here because the person who drug you to church today most likely, I would assume, has this type of relationship with Jesus. Where they have said yes to Jesus, they have understood what it means for him to be their high priest, maybe without even knowing what a high priest was, but they have said yes to Jesus, that he has taken away their sin, and they have enjoyed and embraced this relationship with God that's based on him. And the reason that you're here is because they want you to have that same relationship. So as I talk about this today, and you, if this sounds interesting to you and sounds like something you want to do, then it's very simple to say yes to Jesus. It's yes, Jesus is I can't approach you on my own. I need that new heart and I need that new spirit that you provide. And if you haven't done that, I invite you to do that. But if today isn't the day that you're gonna say yes to that, then here's what I want you to know, is that the verses that we're gonna be talking about, this stuff that we're gonna be talking about up here, filling in this gap, it's only possible with that new heart and that new spirit. Right, And so if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I am so glad you're here and I want you to kick back and relax because this message is for the people who are and who have said yes to Jesus. All right, because let's look at how this plays out. If you have this new spirit, what, is it, what does it look like? In verse 23, it says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So there's another let us, and he's, and he's talking to the church, and he says, we need to hold fast to this confession. And what confession is he talking about? He's talking about the confession that he just talked about. That when you say yes to Jesus, you have this, this true heart and this pure conscience. You have this new spirit in you. And what he's saying is that, is that you can hold fast to this confession or this, true, this confession in verse 22, or you can let it slip through your fingers. And you can forget that you have this true heart. You can forget that you have this pure conscience. You can forget that you have this new spirit living in you. And we can deny it. And can I show you what this looks like in real time? When, when he says, hold on to this confession, this is, this is one of the things that fills this gap. And, and what this is, is trust. Right, that we can fill this gap with trust. Because here's what trust looks like when you're talking about a, a, a true heart and a pure spirit. Trust says this, that God's, working in and God's working on a person or a group of people or a church 
or an organization that claims to know Christ or, or even a culture that claims to know Christ. Trust says God's working in and God's working on. Now, the opposite of trust is also an option. And the opposite of trust isn't distrust. That's passive. The opposite of trust is suspicion. Because if this confession that this preacher is asking us to hold on to, that we have been given this new spirit, we've been given a true heart and a pure conscience, if, if he's asking us to hold on to that and we can trust that that means that God's working because there's a new spirit, God's working in and God's working on, that if we let that slip through our fingers, then what we're left with is suspicion. And what suspicion says, it doesn't say that God's working in and says God's working on. It says just the opposite. It says actually that God's not working at all. It says that there is a culture that God cannot control. There is a culture that God has nothing to do with. That there is a church that God has left. There's a group of people that God's not working on. And there's a person that, that, that God has turned his back on. That's what suspicion looks like. But here's the catch, y'all. And this is where I think the rubber meets the road for a church. Remember, what was his phrase when he started off? Was it let you No, it was what? Let us. So here's what happens, at least in my heart, when I read this passage a lot of times, is is I read this passage about me. And I think that God has given me a new spirit. God has given me a new heart and a pure conscience. And and I can know that's true because I know what it's like to commune and communicate with God. I know what it's like to struggle with sin. And and the reason I struggle with sin is because there's something in me that desires more. If, If that new spirit wasn't there, I wouldn't struggle with sin, right? And so I know what it's like for me to have this new, this true heart and this pure spirit. But what this preacher said is he said, let us hold fast to this confession. So here's what it means. It doesn't mean that I believe that this confession is true about me. It believes that I have to believe that it's true about the person sitting next to me. If I was out there sitting down, right? That you holding on to this confession doesn't mean that you just believe God has given a new spirit in you as a Jesus follower. It means that you get to believe that the person sitting next to you who's a Jesus follower, that God has given them a new spirit and a true heart and a pure conscience. And so what if this truth that this preacher is asking us to hold on to isn't about you, but it's about the person sitting next to you that you have to hold on to it for. Think of it this way. What you hold on to in this gap determines what you do with what you see. And you can take what you see and you can run it through one of these two things. You can run it through trust that God is working in a person, God's working on a person, and you can produce encouragement through that. But that's what, that's what leads to this, is trust. That even though they may let you down, even though they may disappoint you, 
you can trust that God is working in them and God is working on them. In marriage, this is so crucial, isn't it? My premarital, when I was doing premarital counseling, they told us you go into marriage with both eyes open and you stay married with one eye shut, right? Because disappointment and discouragement happen. And, and, and if your spouse is a follower of Jesus, you have to trust that God is working in them and God is working on them, even when they disappoint you. Because if not, if you let that go in this gap, you, you, you have a choice. You can do trust or you can do suspicion. And, and if you choose suspicion, here's what it leads to. So if trust leads to encouragement, suspicion leads to accusation. Right? And accusation produces guilt. Accusation produces blame. Accusation produces anger and gossip and slander and false assumptions. It makes you believe the worst about somebody instead of, instead of believing the best. And ultimately, what accusation leads to is division. And what encouragement eventually leads to is unity. Do you see how important this is? This gap. Now, let's be honest. We can fill this gap. Our past has a huge influence on what we put in this gap, right? Because uh, my pastor back in Texas used to have the, the, a poem that he repeated, uh, and for some reason it stuck with me. It was, to live above with the saints we love, ah, that will be glory, but to live below with the saints we know, well, that's a different story. <laughs> right? People hurt you. And if people hurt you, you can tend towards suspicion. And also, let me speak to this for just a moment. Remember, this truth that I'm talking about is for those who follow Jesus and those who have said yes to Jesus. And there's something we have to understand as a church that this preacher has already addressed. Not everybody who claims the name of Jesus has the relationship with God that he's talking about right here. When I was in Latvia, I did mission work there for a summer. And, and for some reason, the Crusades was a literal stumbling block for people to receive the gospel. And, and there were multiple times that I shared the gospel with somebody, and they were like, yeah, well, if God can be so true and Jesus is so good, then tell me about the Crusades. Why did those happen? And what I had to tell them is what I just told you, that just because somebody claims the name of Jesus, just because they have a, a, a cross on their, on their shield, does not mean that they have an abiding relationship with Jesus. And maybe you've had somebody in your life who claimed to know Jesus, but when you saw them behind closed doors, you knew the difference. You knew that they would sit in church pious and righteous, but then they would go home and they would drink like fish and they would beat your mom, they would beat you, and, it, and that can really mess with what you put in this gap. That can leave you as a person who tends towards suspicion because you lived a life that looked like God's not working and for you, I want you to know that's why this Bible verse is here. Because no matter what your tendency is, you can acknowledge it 
But the truth of the matter is, if somebody is a follower of Jesus, they have a new spirit in them. They have a true heart. They have a pure conscience. And and you can let the past be what it is. And the person sitting next to you, unless they are that person, then let's talk. If they are that person, then disregard what I'm about to say. Because remember, this stuff isn't, there's an asterisk with people who abuse you and those addicts in your life. What I'm talking about are those normal relationships in the church. And when you take the past relationships and put them in present relationships, man, it causes all kinds of jumbled up here, which is why, which is why God's word is here to say, actually, if they are a Jesus follower, you can trust. And here's the deal. It's not that you're trusting them, you're trusting the spirit of God in them. And you're trusting that they have a new spirit. They have a true heart. And because you can trust God is working in them, you can speak encouragement to them instead of accusation. You see, here's what ongoing suspicion does. If if you're a person that lets you know, people that have hurt you if, you, if you let that continue to lead you as a person who tends towards suspicion, here's what suspicion does. Suspicion, ongoing suspicion, gives Satan permission in relationships. Gives him permission to do what? It gives him permission to take the, the gossip, the slander, the accusations, the anxiety, to take those things and to let them grow. All right, and I'll tell you how this happened in my life. Um, I was in a situation where a person made a very simple mistake, right? A very simple mistake. And on a good day, I would look at it and call it a simple mistake, but, but this day wasn't a good day. This day was a day where I chose suspicion over trust. And I took that simple mistake, and instead of calling it a mistake, I said, God's not working. As a matter of fact, this isn't a mistake. This is actually an attack on me, is what this is. And here's where I let, here's where I gave Satan permission, because instead of talking to the person about it, because that would make way too much sense and be way too easy, I talked to somebody else about it. And I said, hey, what do you think? Have you seen this person do this before? Because here's what I'm seeing. And I gossiped. Because that is the simplest form, that is the simplest definition of gossip, isn't it? When you talk about somebody instead of talking to somebody, and I gossiped. And it was then, because I had this new spirit and because I had this, this, this true heart and this pure conscience, the Holy Spirit gave me this check in my new spirit, and I realized that I had gone down a path that gave Satan permission. And the only way to fix it was to go to that person and confess and repent what I did. Now, it would have been a whole lot easier to trust that God was working in them, that God was working on them, and have the conversation, right? But instead, because I took this route, I had to go to them and confess that what I did was sin, and tell them that I repented of it and ask them to forgive me for it. But the damage had been done. Why? Because now I gave permission for somebody else to have suspicion about them. You see how serious this is of what we put in this gap between what we see and what we do has huge consequences for a church. 
is a better way than suspicion. And that's where this preacher ends. Verse 24 says this, let us consider how to stir up one another toward love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And that day drawing near is when Jesus returns and and he's saying, listen, for all of us, there is this deadline coming. There is this finish line ahead of us. And what do we do between now and then with what we see? What do we do with that, with the people that, that we're called the church with? Do we trust and lead to encouragement or, or do, we, do we let go of that confession and choose suspicion and accusation? And see, if we hold on to that confession, then what we do with what we see is we fill this gap with trust and, and we encourage. And what encouragement looks like is that we fan the flame of what God is doing. That's when, when Paul looked at Timothy and he told him through a letter and he said, fan into flame the gift that God has given you. That's encouragement because Paul could look into Timothy's life and see what God was doing and say, do more of that. That's what encouragement is. He didn't say, just, Paul, just Timothy, you're being an idiot. Now stop doing this stuff. He said, do more of that. That's encouragement. That's exhortation. It's seeing people through the eyes of God as God sees them. And what that builds is it builds hope. It builds courage in each other. You give people words of kindness and truth, and that leads to unity. One one of these leads to division. The other leads to unity. And so church, can you see how important this is? I know for me personally, encouragement is the greatest gift that I can receive from someone. I have a file in my file cabinet when people write letters of encouragement. I keep every single one of them. I have an email in my, in my email system that just says encouragement. And when somebody sends me an email that's encouraging, it automatically goes in there. You know, after I read it, it automatically goes in there. Right? Because it's such a sweet gift to get encouragement As a matter of fact, all of our staff do that, right? Nick has talked a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, maybe it was a month ago when he preached, he talked about when he receives an email of encouragement, he keeps it. I know know Carol does, I know Cam does, I know Eddie does, and I know Sarah, she probably uh, makes it all cute and crafty and sticks it on the wall, right? Because those, those words mean something to us, and I know it's not just us, I know it's you too. That words of encouragement are powerful, especially when they come from this place of trust that God's working in and God's working on. As a matter of fact, we believe that this encouragement is so powerful that it breeds such great unity. Here's what we want you to do. Now, this is, again, where I'm going school teacher on you. I'm going to give you some homework, right? And here's your homework. On your way out, that door, or on your way out this door, there are these postcards. So it's this on the front, this on the back. We've included the postage because who has postcard postage laying around, right? And we want you, for your homework, to take at least two of these with you today. You can take three if you want. You can take four if you want. And we want you to encourage somebody, either in this church or somebody in your life, 
who needs this word of encouragement from you. Maybe it's a, a person, maybe it's a group of people, and, and, and you write to them through this lens of trust that God is working in and God is working on, and you speak words of encouragement to them. And, and we want you to do that this week. I had this, this picture in my head, this vision of my head of, of, of some postal worker uh, uh, working in Greenville because that's where all of our mail goes for some reason. It goes to Greenville, and I have this picture of this postal worker seeing 600 of these postcards come through the chute and wondering what in the world this symbol means, what in the world this church is doing, and I want to put that question in their head, right? And so church, what we put in this gap is powerful, and the words of encouragement that this preacher in Hebrews is encouraging his congregation to give and the, and the words that I'm asking you to give are powerful. Pray for somebody and encourage them. If, if you uh, are a member here, you have access to the, our directory online through In Fellowship, and that's where you can get folks' addresses. You can text them their address. Um, if you're in a growth group but not a member, you have access to your growth group through In Fellowship. You can get their addresses that way. Um, and if you're not in any of those situations, then write it to your mom because that's probably the only address you have. Um, uh, but, like I said, you can text people and get their addresses and write them to them. Church, this is a big deal. And if we can be a church that holds on to this confession of verse 22, that we do have this new spirit, it changes the way we interact with each other. It changes the way we interact with this city. Because we'll be a church that sees what God is doing instead of assuming what he's not doing. That's the kind of church that I've seen this church be. That's the kind of church that this church is. And that's the kind of church I want to see fan the flame of what God is doing and ask for you to be even more. Let's pray.